conceited. But in your hearts, honor the word of God. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is God's word. Let's pray together, shall we? Our Father, we can read this a hundred times over and see something new and different each time, but only because your spirit given to us reveals what's there in the word recorded. We thank you for your word and ask that you would illumine us, that we would understand. Let us hear, Lord. Let us hear how we may, in Christ-likeness, open up our hand in generosity. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We have been considering how to live graciously. And by saying that, I mean how to live by grace. Uh, each of the New Testament writers speaks of this, but they speak of it differently. They all speak of it, but they speak differently. Jesus said this, you must be born again. You must be born from above. Unless you are born from above, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. That's how Jesus says it. Peter says that we are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Paul talks about the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit in Titus chapter 3. So our first introduction into a spiritual life is by grace, by God's grace, God's grace bestowed, God's grace which implants in us new life. A new life which now is interested in the things of God 
which is interested in the ways of God. But once alive by grace, we are called then to live by grace, to be living by grace. It doesn't stop with our regeneration. It doesn't stop with our coming to know the Lord. The grace that we, the, the life that we live, we are living by that same grace that God has given for our salvation. John puts it this way, that we, are ha- we have fellowship with the Father and we are living a life of love. That's actually living by grace if we follow John's writings throughout his letters. Paul says, we are changing clothes. We are putting off the old self. We are being renewed in our minds and we are putting on the new self which is made after the likeness of God. We're putting on a new self made after the likeness of God. What what Paul's describing here is something that's a 180 degree change from where we were. We were people who were caught up in our own thing. People who were caught up looking out for ourselves and now we are called to put on new clothes, putting on the new self. In this passage, we've been looking at what that actually means in the particulars. This is not generalized. This is, this is something very specific. So in the last several weeks, we've been looking at the fact that as part of this life, living by grace, we speak the truth to one another. We are people who have been born again into a living hope by the word of truth. And therefore, truth is our lifeblood. Now, sometimes we don't feel like that because you know, when sometimes if someone speaks a truthful criticism to us, we recoil, we want to sort of maybe retaliate. There's a number of things that we would want to do perhaps, but the scripture reminds us, faithful are the wounds of a friend and deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. It's good to have someone to critique us so that we may live by the truth and put away falsehood. It's the lifeblood. Truth is the lifeblood of the Christian community. We've also looked at the fact that there's a place for anger. There's a proper place for anger an appropriate place for anger. Anger against sin. Anger that recognizes the dishonoring of a holy, glorious, majestic God. That makes us angry, and it's right to do so. But our tendency is to let our anger get out of control. And so we are cautioned against that. Not allowing the devil to get a foothold, not allowing the anger to control us and turning all of our anger over to God. Today we're going to look at verse 28, interesting verse. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need We're going to be looking at this aspect that in the Christian life, we are to labor to be generous. We are to labor 
to be generous. That's what's being said here. The new nature being formed after Christ is more interested in giving than in receiving. And so we need to put enough hard work into our efforts so that we may be generous. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. <clears throat> Excuse me a moment. Need my water. Our ability to be generous really has its source in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who has been most generous toward us. Let me read to you 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might be made rich. The Lord Jesus, God the Son, had all of the riches of heaven. He was seated upon a throne. He was surrounded by creatures that cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. He was surrounded by myriads of those who had tasted of faith and who proclaimed his praise. He had the adoration of angels. He had eternally unbroken fellowship with the Father. Galaxies are his. The universe is his. Planets, the wonders of the skies, the night skies, and the wonders of all the earth are all his. They were all his. And what he did is he chose to set those aside willingly and become poor, to be born into poverty even. He set them aside so that he might come and live among us. We who own nothing, really, we don't own anything. Everything we have in life is granted to us and is granted as a stewardship. We think we own it. We've got title deed to that piece of dust that we've got a house sitting on. But you know what? That's just an earthly recognition. That's God's. It's always been God's. It always will be God's. He may recall it someday, and you get to have the stewardship of it today. Our Lord set aside everything that he owned. Not reluctantly, it wasn't taken from him. He laid it aside for the sole purpose of coming to us. Broken, clay beings, little bits of dust with breath in us, breath granted to us by the creator, breath sustained in us by the God of almighty power. He was born into low conditions. He was born into poverty. His mother didn't have a place to go for his birth. All they had were whatever clothes they could carry on a donkey because they were traveling, and they continued to travel for about the first four or five years of his life. And then, even 
as a child. He was hounded. There was a king who sent soldiers to kill all the children two years old and younger in the city where he was dwelling. From the very moment of his birth, he was hounded. He was obscure. He didn't have popularity, not really. Even when people were following him around, he was more of a curiosity than he was anything else. And he was not believed when he was taught, when he taught. He wasn't necessarily believed. He had 12 guys who followed him around because he called them. And then on the day of his death, he only had 11. Poverty. He who had the accolades of angels, for whom light was something that emanated from him, not obscured by the flesh that he took up. He who had all the stars in his hands. He did this. He was rejected. He was hung up on a cross and shamed. He did this so that we might become rich. Because we were in utter poverty of grace. The Lord Jesus Christ poured himself out as a criminal so that in his resurrection and ascension and his being enthroned in heaven, he might pour out his Holy Spirit on us. That's God's great riches for us at Christ's expense. And not just the riches of the world. Beloved, you and I will inherit uh, not, just the, not just the riches of Christ and the Spirit. You and I will become heirs of the world. Have you ever seen Victoria Falls? Niagara Falls? You will be the owner of that. In Christ, you own the mountains. In Christ, you own the rivers. In Christ, you own the sunrise and the sunset. There is nothing now that will be withheld from you because Christ owns it all and he shares his inheritance with you. You own galaxies and quasars. You own all of these majestic things. You are wealthy. You are wealthy in the grace that God has given to you in Christ. You are wealthy in the spirit he has poured upon you that you might know eternal life and grow up in eternal life. And you are wealthy in the inheritance of the universe when Christ will be recognized and all things will be purged of its brokenness and purged of its sin. Let me point out, just look at this table up here. We see this every Sunday. We see it every Sunday, and it becomes kind of a background decoration. And yet every Sunday, this table right here, with that bread and this cup, declares all of this was purchased for you. Christ made himself poor in utter poverty that he might make you rich. So when we look at that, let's remember the glorious riches which are ours in the Lord. Even the Heavenly Father continues to enrich you. Listen to what it says in Romans 8. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? Do you have a need? 
Do you have a need? Go to your heavenly Father. Why would your heavenly Father withhold it from you if it was good for you? And if he does withhold it, then that is a good, abundant, gracious blessing. Because it means we have to rely upon God's wisdom, which is far greater than any material thing that we can possess. 2 Peter 1, verse 2 says, God's divine power has given everything you need for life and godliness. And Paul says in Philippians, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. The new man that we now, we are now made after the image of Christ, we are now born, born into new life in Christ. The new man is thoroughly enriched with God's grace. We are no longer poor. We no longer wallow in poverty. We might think we don't have enough money. We might think we don't have enough material things. But you know what? That's not wealth. That's stuff. Wealth is the grace that we have in Christ. And with that, we could just stop and walk out and bask in the morning sunshine and realize that gold beyond measure is being poured out on us. Because that's God's blessing for this day. And so the new man is interested in all these spiritual concerns. We're interested in preserving our neighbor's wealth because we know that God owns that too. We're interested in fulfilling the original creation expectation. I'm going to come to that in a minute, the original creation expectation of work. And to fulfill the privilege of the new man, to live like Christ so that we too may give generously sometimes out of our need, but that we give generously because we have the riches of Christ. And so Christ is the source of all of our riches. He's the source of the removal of our poverty, and he's also the source of our generosity to others. The Christian life is completely different from the assumptions of the world. The assumptions of the world are You need to have a bigger home. You need to have a fancier car. You need to have more financial security. You need to have the utmost of personal uh, comfort and um, no uh, perturbations. Uh, The attitude of the world is that what what we have here materially is the measure of our success. What we have here materially is the measure of our well-being or the measure of our significance. It's interesting that the apostle in this passage refers to stealing. Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. It's an interesting contrast, stealing versus working, stealing versus laboring. Stealing I mean, this is a very clear example of two things moving in the opposite direction, 180 degrees. One is laboring to acquire uh, a little bit of wealth. 
One of them is laboring in order to take somebody else's wealth, which is not your own. Stealing is taking for oneself something that is not rightfully yours, grasping to have. Stealing says what I have isn't enough and what you have is more than you should have. Stealing is what I have isn't what I need. That's what it says. Stealing says what I have isn't what I want. It says I can't really trust God to provide. Now you and I might say, well, wait a second, I don't steal. You know, I don't really do that. You know, I'm not that kind of person. Listen to God's indictment against his people in the prophet Malachi. Will a man rob God, and yet you are robbing me? But you say, how have I robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You're cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. There are many people in the Christian church who are robbing God. They don't really give him a tithe. You know, a tithe is 10%. A tithe is 10%, and uh, it's 10% of what you earn, 10% of what comes in. And sometimes we give a token because it makes us feel better. But God says, I am asking you for one-tenth. In the ancient world, it was one-tenth of your flocks, one-tenth of your crops, one-tenth of your uh, financial income. And in doing so, it was a recognition that God owns my life. And so there's many people in the Christian church who don't do that. They just give a token, and they um, assume that that's sufficient. And God says, that's thievery. You're stealing from me. And Paul goes so far in Romans chapter 2 to say, you who abhor idols, do you rob temples? And it's like this. We abhor the idol of money and silver. So we're like, no, 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 we wouldn't bow down to that. But we keep God's portion for ourselves. We rob his temple. And so what the scripture says here, let the thief no longer steal, rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands, can possibly apply to us. Stealing reveals an excessive interest in the material world, grasping after material gain. Stealing is the result of laziness or greed or fear. It's the, in essence, states that God cannot provide or will not provide, or what he has provided is insufficient for you. It's an implied judgment on his providence. Is the powerful God who owns the whole universe able to provide your meager little needs on this planet? You have to answer that question. Is he able to do that? 
And then in answering it, you realize, of course, you will be tested. Do you really believe it? When we sit back and we say, God's providence is not sufficient, it's idolatry. It's idolatry. It's stating in action that something other than God is more important than God for my satisfaction or my happiness. I know what's best for me. I know what I really need. But the pattern that Jesus sets before us and the source of our generosity is really found in Christ living in us. Timothy says, or Paul says this in, in the letter to 1 Timothy, Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. May our attitude be that of the wisdom writer, who says in Proverbs 30, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. And so let the thief no longer steal, rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. Sometimes I think that we look at work and we say, oh, work is the result of the curse. You ever do that? Work is the result of the curse. If, I, if the curse hadn't really come down upon us, I wouldn't have to do work. What was the first thing God told Adam? Go till the garden. Go till the garden. Get out there and work in the soil. Get out there and work in the garden. It feels funny for me to say that in an agricultural community, right? Because you all, you all, you're surrounded by it. You know it all the time, right? The tilling of the garden, as it were. But all of that to illustrate that we were made to use our bodies in labor. That's what we were made for, to sweat, to work hard, to go to bed at night fatigued from the work that we are doing. <clears throat> work itself is not a result of the curse. Work is what we were designed to do. Work is not part of the curse. It's part of our original blessed condition. And so this idea of stealing and then the 180 degrees doing honest work is returning to what we were made for. Made to do labor. The thorns and thistles that are now produced in the ground, other than the plants that bear uh, fruit and vegetables, the thorns and thistles are what is part of the curse. That is the frustration of our work from being exactly what we need it to be or what we want it to be. And yet God is pleased to exercise us and stretch us in labor that we might know his grace. And when he, when he provides to us through our labor, then the purpose is not for us to accumulate it to our own glory or to our own satisfaction, but rather, even as Paul said, you gave out of your need to the ministry that I was providing here. That is, our labor is not for ourselves. Our labor is so that we may give to others 
in the name of Jesus Christ's generosity. It's not to build our own little castle or kingdom. There is an open-handedness that comes with compassion, and that's what we are told to enter into. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Notice it says something. It doesn't mean you take all of what you own and you give it away, but you have a portion set aside that can be used generously for others. One of the marks of those who have tasted grace is this open-handedness that comes with compassion. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by you, by his poverty, might become rich. Working to give is setting aside your prerogatives in order to bless others. That's exactly what Christ did. He set aside his prerogatives in order to bless us in our poverty. And therefore, when we labor, we may have the same mindset. We cannot produce the miracles that Jesus performed. We cannot do without some material blessings in this world. They have to be provided to us. You cannot do without eating. You cannot do without shelter. You cannot do without environmentalized shelter in heat or in air conditioning during certain seasons. But you don't need to hoard to yourself that which God has appointed, perhaps for mercy and compassion. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? Oh, you of little faith, don't seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink or be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. <clears throat> That's the treasure we desire. The treasure that we desire is the knowledge that God's grace rests upon us in full, that we may live generously and trust the Lord's good providence in our lives. May that be the case for each of us. May we, may God be gracious and give us this treasure. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord Jesus, thank you that you set aside all of your wealth, all of your prerogatives, all of, the, all of the things that were suitable and right for the eternal, divine, second person of the Trinity. And you became poor among us that you might provide to us riches that we could never, ever, ever have obtained. 
Help us to count those as our greatest treasure, those riches, Lord, that don't ever rust or disappear, that don't tank with the market, that don't get stolen from us by those who might be greedy, but, Lord, riches that have an unending source, riches found in your gracious, gracious character. How we would pray that we would measure those riches. And then, Lord, open our own hands in generosity, knowing that you've given us some things in order to bless others. Help us to do that, to work until we're fatigued, to receive what you have provided, to give to others in their need. May we live out that life of our Lord Jesus Christ in the surroundings that you place us. We'll give you glory, Lord. We'll be able to stand before you and give you praise and recognize even more so your majesty and your love and your tenderness as you have dealt with us. These things we pray in your holy and glorious name. Amen. Let's stand and sing number 380, Living for Jesus, A Life That Is True. We'll only sing the refrain after stanza two and stanza four. Living for Jesus alive.
And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you always. Amen.